0: Welcome to One World, One Legal Profession, an international podcast. My name is Veronica Hava. I'm a director at the German Federal Bar. My guest today, Goran Klementic from Slovenia, is not easy to introduce. Firstly, there is no major international organization that Goran has not worked for, like the United Nations, the Council of Europe, the Organization for European Cooperation and Development, and the World Bank. He also worked for the European Commission for the German Foundation for International Legal Cooperation, the United Nations Mission in Kosovo, and others. His main fields of expertise are economic crime, fight against corruption, human rights, good governance, criminal justice, and torture prevention. Secondly, Goran has worked on almost every continent – He worked for the projects in the EU, the Western Balkans, the Russian Federation, Ukraine, Central Asia, China, Latin America, and North Africa. Thirdly, Goran was a State Secretary, First Deputy Minister, in the Ministry of Internal Affairs in Slovenia from 2008 to 2010, and he was Slovenia's Minister of Justice from 2014 to 2018. Right now, Goran dedicates himself to the promotion of the rule of law and the justice reforms in Uzbekistan as a chief legal advisor at Regional Dialogue, a Slovenian NGO. In addition, he teaches anti-corruption and compliance at the Tashkent State University of Law. Goran, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to have you as my guest today.
1: Veronica, it's it's an honor to be uh, part of this podcast and um, because I listened to your first one and it, it brings back... Uh, some some memories of because i'm a i'm a uh, i'm a quite a podcast fan you know and your first one sounded like uh, a bbc world documentary so <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> uh, so i was i was really pleased uh, that you invited me I, it's an honor to be here uh, you know
0: Thank you for kind words, uh, Goran. Um, though you are a global citizen, your home country is Slovenia. Um, and I would like to say a few words about Slovenia to our listeners, listeners who are maybe not that familiar with the country. Slovenia is a country in Central Europe with a population of 2.1 million people. Um, it has a beautiful nature. Slovenia has mountains. It has a coastline, an Adriatic Sea. Um, the country was part of Yugoslavia until 1991. Um, it became a member of European Union from 2004. Four. An interesting fact, um, the, af- the author of the lyrics of the National Anthem of Slovenia is Franz Prezerian, who was a lawyer and a poet. Prezarian is as important to Slovenians as Pushkin to Russians or Goethe to Germans. Hmm. The German-Slovenian relationship is very good. I'm citing the website of German Foreign Office. It says, the two countries enjoy very good relations based on mutual trust bilateral economic cooperation is extremely close. Germany is Slovenia's most important trading partner by far and is one of the principal foreign investors in Slovenia. Um, Goran, um, I invite you to add to my introduction. Can you give our listeners a couple of interesting facts about Slovenia?
1: First of all, I would like to compliment you on the reference to Pushkin and to Gote. (laughs) It's true, (laughs) Prešeren, Slovenian biggest poet, which, by the way, was a lawyer, Graduated in uh, Vienna, uh, and was then because he was a little bit of a nationalist. He didn't. He was not allowed to practice law for many years. But basically, yeah, I, I think a lot of um, uh, your listeners or Germans know Slovenia basically as a country that they pass through uh, when they go to the Croatian coast. <laughs> you know, we are we are a small nation, squeezed in a way between Austria, Italy, Hungary, and Croatia on the south. Um, two million, as you said, um, but. In a way, in a way, you know, I, I'm a kind of a, a global person, uh, really a liberal, uh, but I, I'm very proud of of my nation because this is, it's one of the smaller Slavic nation on the, you know, on, on the edges of the West. Uh, uh, we didn't have our country for, for many years. The last time we had our country was like in 7th century uh, when, um, you know, Carantania was, anyway, but I'm, I'm not bothering your listeners with that history. Uh, it, it, it is a small uh, country, uh, which is, I, you know, everybody's proud of their own country, but uh, I mean, we also are, it it, it really combines everything. It's uh, sometimes they said it's, uh, you know, um, we got a lot of, let's say, uh, Germanic, uh, let's say, professionalism and, you know, rule of law and, you know, tidiness, but with some spice of Balkan, you know. In a good way um that, that at least that's how i you know uh, that's how i uh, uh, how i see it uh, we gave independence 30 years ago slovenia was the first one of the republics that succeed uh, succeeded from uh, yugoslavia uh, we fought a, um, a relatively successful war and were spared luckily and in a way tragically also the slaughter that then happened in the former yugoslavia Um, And, um, you know, we are actually this year um, celebrating the 30th year of our independence. And just a small, perhaps, anecdote, which in a way is true. um, I mean, not in a way, it is true that um, actually the founders of U.S. and uh, the writers of uh, U.S. constitutions um, uh, actually got some inspiration by the way how the first Slovenian kings were uh, appointed. Namely, after they were selected, they were put on a chair and then the lower peasant came to them and slapped them in the face to remind them that they are accountable to the people. And actually, that is that is a a real thing. It is written in the journals of George Washington and, you know, um, and uh, Benjamin Franklin that they used that inspiration when they were writing the um, the U.S. Constitution. And when Blink, Bill, Bill Clinton was visiting, the, at the time the, the president of the U.S. was visiting Slovenia, he actually repeated that story. Um so yeah, you know, we are small but we are perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. That's very interesting historical anecdote, you know? I didn't know about that. Um Goran, um I have never had a chance to talk to someone who is or was a minister of justice. Please forgive me a blunt or childish question. What is it like to be a minister of justice of a European country? <laughs>
1: Well, that's a good question and it's absolutely not childish and it's not blunt um i think it it differs from you know person to person yes i was i mean i i was in the government for uh, for a number of years uh first responsible for police and security services and then i was for four years a minister of justice um look it uh, my experience is, and and I'll be blunt here um you know it it was in many ways frustrating. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, I'm not a politician. You know, I was appointed um, to both posts, um, you know, the Secretary of State for the Ministry of Interior and the Minister of Justice as a non-political appointee, uh, which kind of, because I, I've never been a member of any party. I, I can say for myself that I'm perhaps more left-leaning or, you know, liberal, but I have never uh hold a party card. Um, you know, I was too young to be a member of the Communist Party uh, in Yugoslavia. Uh, and then I, I, I simply, I, I didn't do that. Um, but, you know, somebody thought that, you know, like I'm a reformer, I I know something. I'm, you know, I had some kind of image as an expert. So, you know, they appointed me to those positions. Um, and and if you do not have, a, I mean, it, at the end of the day, bottom line is, you need to be a politician and i was not um you know it's uh i mean i enjoyed very much meeting all my colleagues in you know brussels in luxembourg uh, uh when we met um, i learned a lot um but the problem is that um politics is really kind of trying to find a, a, a you know a, a minimal common denominator uh and I, I was just not made for that to be honest for example, uh, I mean, we, we did a lot, I think we did a lot um, in the time when I was Minister of Justice, um, also to promote the rule of law in Slovenia and to do some reforms. Uh, we introduced a couple of stuff that were, were basically not there before. But honestly, if I look back at my career, because I'm not a spring chicker anymore, you know, I'm, I'm close in my 50s, uh, so... Um, I, I, I more loved the, the work that I did, for example, as a chief anti-corruption commissioner, because it's a direct law enforcement role. You know, you you follow the law, uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but, you know, the rules of the game are are clear. I can tell you, the rules in the politics are never clear, uh, far from that. It's, it's you know, you, you need to be a special person for that, and I respect people who do that. Um, uh, but... Just let's say I, that's not the the part of my career. Although it it, it sounds and looks nice on my CV, um, it's not something that I enjoyed very much. Although I had a great team around me, but at the end of the day, you need a certain number of votes in the parliament, um, you know. And if you're not a politician, oh my god, believe me, it's um, it can be a nightmare. I mean, I, I don't think I ever had so many headaches that I had uh, when I was a minister of justice. I was just. You know yeah sorry i'm, I'm being very honest
0: yeah, thank you thank you very much for your honesty <laughs> you know it's not often that you get an honest such an honest question an yeah, yeah, yeah. Question, you know? thank you Um, Well, what I'm um, very interested in as a representative of the German Federal Bar um, is um, how was your cooperation with the representative of the interest (laughs) of Slovenian lawyers, the Slovenian Bar Association. And for the full disclosure, the German Federal Bar is best friends with the Slovenian Bar Association. We not only worked together closely on the European level, but also on topics concerning our national professional law. And justice system. So what was your experience during your time as Minister of Justice with your lawyers?
1: Okay, uh, you might be surprised, but uh, actually, uh, I, again, I'll be very honest. I think although we cooperated good on, on some issues, uh, uh, the, the Bar Association was like, I mean, we, we fought a lot. Again, honestly, you know, the, the, the problem, um, which sometimes, and, and that might be perhaps interesting for, um, your listeners, um, which probably to a large extent come from the federal bar is like, you know, as a minister of justice, you're really in a, Uh, let's say pecuniary position you know uh, first of all you are in the eyes of the media and politics and opposition or whatever responsible for everything that goes wrong in you know uh, the rule of law in the country Mm -hmm. you know if somebody who even in in criminal cases if somebody who is in the eyes of the public considered you know guilty is uh, acquitted uh, you know it's like what will the minister of justice say well uh, You cannot say anything. I mean, you you are really kind of trying to be a mediator between, you know, judges, prosecutors, lawyers, corporate interests, and politics. And then, of course, the public. And that is often hard to do. You have a lot of responsibility, but at the same time, you have relatively little power. Which is rightfully so, because you know you cannot uh, you, you cannot interfere in judicial process or in you know in um, in in prosecutorial decisions, and of course you cannot um, uh, you know dictate how uh, the bar works. I can say that you know and Veronica, I mean this is another disclosure. You know we have a common friend, Janis Starman, who is a very prominent lawyer in Slovenia. You know he's my best friend, and he's also a friend of yours. And he was a fi- he was and he is a vice president of the bar. Um, but we rarely saw eye to eye in the four years when we were, uh, when I was a minister. And to his credit, I don't think it was like once or twice that he would call me and say, Well, Goran, you know, come on, you're my friend, you shouldn't do that, you know. Anyway, to make a long story short, um, honestly. I didn't have a very good relationship with the bar. Mm-hmm. Um the, one of the reasons was that uh, the bar was was really pushing for the higher tariffs and I was probably the only minister in the history of Slovenia which in 4 years did not increase the tariffs um and um you know for different reasons. Um I'm not going to that. But but at the end of the day uh, I have to stress while they were really formidable let's say opponents to many of my reforms. And they actually won in a couple of cases. I mean, you know, one in the say that they managed to undercut my reforms as a minister. I have to say that I always had respect for that. I think um that you know this triangle judiciary prosecution and the bar really need you know, to, to, to talk it out. And sometimes you, you, um, you get your, your, your ambitions or your thoughts or reforms through sometimes you fail. And, 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 and that's the, re- I mean, that, and that's the bottom line of democracy and rule of law. Um, and when I look back now, I thought like, yeah, well, perhaps I was like pushing for something, you know, that was not really appropriate. Um, and they were right to, oppose me. And they did oppose me, I have to say. Plus, you know, my wife at the time, she was also a lawyer. So you can imagine that uh, I, I wasn't really in a position as a former anti-corruption commissioner to, to get in the conflict of interest. Uh, uh, so, But again, the bottom line is I have a strong belief that a very active and professional bar is one of the cornerstones of, you know, any Rule of law system or democratic system, and I case, and I can say that with some, let's say, authority, because I had a privilege to live like you did in some way, Veronica. You know, to to live through the changing of a system of governance from a authoritarian or semi-authoritarian to a rule of law, as it is understood now. Mm.
0: Th- thank you very much. I'm very pleased to hear that, even though you did not increase tariffs of lawyers and tariffs of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Goran. Um, you were 19 years old in '91 when Soviet Union collapsed. When Slovenia became independent, you studied law in Ljubljana at the same time I studied law in Kiev in my home country, Ukraine, which was in the early mid '90s. The countries that were behind the Iron Curtain, like Slovenia and Ukraine, were going through a ma- major and painful transformation in those days. Transformation of legal system, economic system, educational system—all systems, in fact. Um, There were also wild times to study law, I must say. Um, In Ukraine, I saw many international organizations that came to help my country with the transformation. And I remember the majority in Ukraine was quite skeptical about the impact these international players were going to have. But 25 years later, you can see how unbelievably much... Has changed for the better. So how did you experience Slovenians' transformation from a planned economy ruled by the Communist Party to a member of a democratic community of European countries?
1: Okay, uh, I really liked what you said that it was quite a challenging or a specific time to, to study law in those um, uh, at those times. Um, and I'll, I'll get back to that. But first, just a, a footnote. I mean, it was probably Different in let's say former Yugoslavia than it was in most um, um, let's say Soviet um, republics. That that is a fact. Uh, uh, you know, we we were an autocratic country, but but not to the extent that um, rest of let's say Iron content, uh, Curtain was. But um, as you said, it was like I mean I look at that time and I feel in a way extremely privileged that I come from a generation as you might also, you're younger than me, although you're, uh, you're younger than me, that, you know, we came, uh, I, you know, th- th- this might sound a little bit weird, but I remember the early 90s when in the streets of Ljubljana, when our new constitution was adopted, you could actually buy, I, I vividly remember that, you could buy the a small print, you know, they made kind of different sexy booklets of our new constitution and of the European Convention of Human Rights um, on every, let's say, say ice cream stand. You actually, you went through the streets of Ljubljana, you bought a couple of, you know, ice cream balls and you could buy there also a small pocket edition of the new constitution or the European Convention of Human Rights. And people were doing that. Uh, You know, it was an amazing time. It was like... We actually believed in the rule of law that the law can change things. Uh, regretfully, with the cynicism of this year, uh, of those years, and you know, people do not believe that anymore to to that extent. But that was just an amazing time, um, and I'm sure you had that same uh, experience. You know, I went to law school um, at the end of 80s and at the beginning of the 90s, where ni- uh, let's say, okay, not 90, but. of textbooks were just scrapped away because they were like, you know, based on, you know, a different set of rules. Uh, And, you know, we were taught, like, we were basically really being taught as we go, you know, like, wow, the parliament adopted a new constitution. Wow, the parliament, you know, abolished a new uh, death penalty. Wow, the parliament, uh, you know, introduced, uh, you know, the, the right to a lawyer in a criminal process and and that was the i mean just it's an amazing experience and i i really feel privileged uh that i went through that transition and i often speak to my daughters who are now you know um in a high school and trying to enter the university and whatever and and they they you know um you know this is it's just like being through that transition is um it's an enormous um experience although As seen in most other countries, uh, because I travel the world so much, it's like usually, you know, um, those uh, high flying, let's say, aspirations then fall down to reality of, you know, what the world is, what the... Capital markets are what the real politics is, uh, and then you know it comes, it brings cynicism, and I think that cynicism in in law is first of all it's um, it's very uh, present, but it's very also dangerous.
0: Well, about the law studies, I had a similar experience in Ukraine when in ninety one the country became independent and everything collapsed. I saw mm. country going going down the black hole in in at mm. enormous speed. And at law faculty, um, the new constitution of Ukraine was adopted in 1996. So um, through the whole studies, you you did not know, aha, uh-huh, so this area of law is Soviet law. Aha, uh-huh, this area of law is <laughs> yeah, new law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have yeah to put yeah. the puzzles together, you know, about your system. And that was wild times. when I'm also very grateful that I have experienced this, but now doing rule of law promotion for Brock, um gives me, it's, I have a different. Uh, inspiration by doing this work, you know, because I know what it does. and Yeah.
1: No, I I totally feel you, Veronica. Sorry to to prolong this uh, part of the discussion, but I I do feel you. And you know what was the important thing, at least uh, when I look in the retrospect in that, that uh, also law students of my generations and a couple of generations before me and after me, uh, and I guess before you and after you, you know, um, you actually needed to think, you know you need to make a decision because you didn't have a, a textbook or a, a solid law like learn these 200 articles and you'll pass an exam mm-hmm. no because they were changing like in the middle of you know in the middle of school year you know the whole criminal new criminal code was adopted so what the hell exactly. do you do you read the old one no you actually need to think you know you, you actually yeah. wanted why the hell is this happening and perhaps um, you know, I I often say, and I'm sorry to prolong that, but I often say because I'm also a a, a law professor or a teacher, you know, I say to my students, uh, when, you know, the, the, if somebody asks you, uh, why is this rule seven and so And if you answer to me, like, yeah, because it's written in article 220, paragraph 10, I said, look, that's not a sufficient answer. That is like answering to your kid, when so, when the, your when your kid does something wrong or is reprimanding, and reprimanded, and he said, "Why?" and you said, "Because I said so." No, you actually need to have a reason. The reason might be in constitution, philosophy, social, uh, you know, development, uh, international norms. But you have to have a reason. You need, and that's what law is all about. You know, arguments, um, yeah. and and you know, um, and not just. The will of power, because this article said so, and you lived through that same area as they, as I did. That different articles of the criminal code or the constitution were totally different in a previous system, and then they changed overnight.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: No worries. Um, um Goran, as someone who has a deep understanding of the high value of the promotion of the rule of law in international legal cooperation, you are now contributing your experience to the transformation in Uzbekistan in Central Asia. As you already mentioned, the first guest of this podcast was in Uz- from Uzbekistan and I spoke to him about the ongoing democratization of the country. Uh, For those who are interested, please go back and listen to this first episode. Um, Goran, can you please tell us about the mission of the Slovenian NGO Regional Dialogue in Uzbekistan?
1: Well, um, sometimes people do ask me, you know, why would... You know my 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 career of former minister of justice and blah blah. blah. I, I joined this regional um, a dialogue. I joined regional dialogue. I, I have to say, I, I'm sure that like the probably ninety nine 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 percent of um, your listeners, that doesn't mean anything. Um, I mean the name of regional dialogue. It is um, it is a, an amazing. In my opinion, an amazing um, international NGO, which was established by a, by a you know formidable person, Musha um, Sever. She's a Slovenian citizen, and she has worked in many post-conflict situations. You know, um, in um, I mean, she has been a journalist first, uh, including working for the CNN. She's a Slovenian citizen. Then you know, she worked in Afghanistan. She worked in Azerbaijan, and then you know. She settled for one reason or the other in Uzbekistan, and she is one of the rare international NGOs uh, that really have uh, uh, a real respect and an impact in a country of... uh, Uzbekistan, and you know, she created this institution which has offices in Slovenia and has offices in uh, in um, in Uzbekistan, and focus on basically promotion, the rule of law, freedom of speech, and and democracy. Um, and um, I have actually, because I, I I worked also for the OECD, I have been a, a, a team leader for the anti-corruption evaluation of Uzbekistan in um, two thousand twelve or something like that under the previous president, where the situation was pretty bleak and uh, authoritarian and you know that was not a, a very good experience and then anyway when when i was finishing my post as a minister of justice um musha you know Misha Sever that i mentioned before uh, approached me and and she said come on this country has totally changed you know this country is really going through some important reforms just give me a chance and you know come come to the country and um, and see for yourself and i did um and this you know she sold it to me uh, to, to to put it this way um uzbekistan is far from a perfect place um and uh, honestly uh all that this is going on the you know podcast um and perhaps might not be um so politically correct uh one doesn't know whether this is um you know permanent or this is sustainable but um giving my work abroad um and also in eu um i could say that um i mean I, I sense that Uzbekistan is one of few countries that is currently still swimming upstream, you know. Because, I mean, things are not going very well in the world. I mean, uh, everybody noticed that without being, you know, paranoid or whatever. And Uzbekistan is doing that. I mean, it's it's one of few countries that really tries to change, you know, in the in the in the way of the rule of law and um, regional dialogue is doing a lot of that with the help of the. US State Department funding, uh, some EU funding. Anyway, it, uh, Musha and her team, including myself, I think we, we managed to, in the last uh, four or five years, you know, brought, brought uh, like, um, 2000 different international experts, um, to Uzbekistan, um, including you, Veronica, of course, uh, and, we, we so much appreciate that. I mean, it's still, it is, I'm not saying it's a success story, uh, but, you know, um, looking around the world now uh, with a little bit of my cynical view of what, uh, you know, the rule of law is uh, going through around the world, um, Uzbekistan, I think it's still on the, let's say, positive side and it's definitely worth supporting. And it's not, you know, m- many people, uh, I'm sure even in Germany, Absolutely in Slovenia, you know they don't know about it. It's one of the stunts. It's like uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, but Uzbekistan is, is, you know, the most populous and and let's say the most progressive country right now in the in the Central Asia, and it deserves all the help it can get, and especially the people. I teach at the Tashkent Law University. And I'm, you know, and I taught before in the Slovenian, uh, you know, in the Ljubljana Law School and in the in the European Law School in Novogorica. and and I'm telling you, um, I mean, I, I'm just simply impressed uh, by the young people that are going now uh, through the legal studies in Uzbekistan.
0: Well, th- this I can confirm um, because when I was in Uzbekistan, two thousand nineteen. Upon the invitation of regional dialogue, we also met with students. I, I was highly impressed mm-hmm. with the quality of thought, with the quality of language, yep. um, with their eagerness to find out about law systems of other countries. And, um, yeah, I can, I can confirm what you're saying. And I must say the regional dialogue in Uzbekistan is a success story. I've been in this field of international cooperation for 10 years. And when I saw, um, how, regional dialogue works and um how much um well what what their contacts are everybody in uzbekistan knows who, who regional dialogue is and they have a very high opinion of your organization so you're doing a tremendous work um, um, coming back to this time 2019 when we met in uzbekistan we spent 3 days talking with the chamber of advocates of the republic of uzbekistan about the independence of lawyers from the state about the development of profession the legal profession in Uzbekistan is going through what it is maybe the biggest reform in its history. Hmm. And the German Federal Bar is also trying to help him with it. What is your opinion on the international cooperation between the bars? Well, I mean, is, is, is it helpful? Should there be, I don't know, yeah, between, yeah. between Ministry of Justice only, you know? Yeah.
1: No, I mean, again... Um, the, and again, I, you know, I don't. I hope it will not sound arrogant, but uh, because of my experience as a minister of justice, etc., I could uh, look. Most of the international cooperation uh, in in most, let's say, transitional or post conflict countries goes through, you know, either the international organizations, you know, UN, Council of Europe, OEC, OECD, uh, World Bank, IMF, whatever. Um, then um, the second phase is usually, yeah, uh, you know, bilateral cooperation between you know development agencies and uh, ministries of justice um, in that area and then usually um perhaps the last the least present is like cooperation between the bars um and i find that um i find that as a minus um i mean that there there is least cooperation i mean to put it differently i think um and i noticed that from first hand experience um it is extremely important, and it is extremely valued. You know, nobody, even the biggest expert, you know, or a credible person from the Ministry of Federal Justice, you know, in your country, will never be received in the same way by either Uzbek or Ukrainian, or you know, you know, name the place um, when they talk about rule of law about what is to be you know to you know equality of arms uh, you know fair trial and stuff like that in comparison to if somebody who is a member of the bar speaks to them mm. because um, you know people it's it's usual you know people associate like you're doing a similar job as I do but in a different country so I'm absolutely more. Prepared. It's psychological. I'm absolutely more prepared to do. Uh, I mean, to listen to you because you understand my problems. They might be totally different because you know problems of a lawyer in Uzbekistan are, for you know, God's sake, absolutely different than they are from a lawyer in Munich or Berlin or Frankfurt or you know Hanover or whatever, um, or for that matter in New York or Boston or you know San Francisco or Ljubljana if if you want but you you know sh- the basics are the same so i always also when i worked like you know 25 years ago uh, at the um uh, at the council of europe i was a project manager and i was actually involved in a in a project that uh it, it doesn't matter with special investigative means etc i actually called uh, and used a lot of let's say german high level police officers who did you know undercover investigations and they they, they had a much bigger impact on people like in Albania or in Serbia when they were transferring their knowledge to them as I could have or as 20 professors, you know, and I don't want to be negative now about them, but, you know, could have because it's so the bottom line is, I think what you are doing and being, you know, like really, I mean, you know, a big bar um, transferring this um, to other countries is extremely important because the connection and the appreciation of the local people, of the local lawyers, is is so much higher. Mm-hmm. If you have, like, you, you experience that yourself, Veronica, I mean, not only in Uzbekistan, but in other countries. You know, it's different if you speak or your colleagues from the bar speak to the lawyers of maybe, Turkey, Russia, Ukraine, Uzbekistan, Slovenia, if you want, you know, or Serbia or, you know, uh, Machu Picchu. Sorry, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it it does matter. It, it it does matter. Then if somebody comes, you know, from like I'm a you know uh, a career servant of the I don't know UN. Uh, I know all the international conventions by heart, so I'll I'll speak to you about that. Um, so uh, I really appreciate that, and I think that is uh, that is something. And plus, uh, you know, I think Germany, although uh, doing increasingly better on that you're still much behind from what for example us is doing with their you know um with with, with their system they are present everywhere you know yeah, in, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and it is also important that because you germany represents again i i, I come from a, you know i was educated uh, uh, partially in let's say uh I mean, in, in a Slovenian system, which is basically close to the the German system of law, uh, but then also in the US system, because I went to Harvard, and you know, so um, you know, those two systems of law, um, civil and uh, you know, continental or Anglo-Saxon, whatever you call them, um, they they they. I mean, in in the transition countries, both needs to be represented, because I think that is the only way to to make uh, proper progress. At the end of the day, it's the decision of the country, which one it will follow or what mixture uh, of those it will follow. But we both know uh, that there are significant differences. And you don't want that just like the Americans or the French or the Germans, let's say, preach what is their um, uh, philosophy of the rule of law. It, it needs to be a combination of all. And I, coming from a small nation, understand that. You
0: know, thank you for this valuable outsider's opinion. I must say, doing the work with bars, I think Brack has cooperation with more than 30, even 40 bars all over the world. We have learned that we are more similar than we are different. Mm. And uh, even mm. if. There is a problem in the big lawyers that we do not have, but we immediately understand why is this is a problem, what implications sure. <laughs> will it have, and what you have to do. Yeah. So that's why these corporations are also so fruitful also for us and um, as they are for other uh, bars. Um, my last question will be. Um, If someone who has an extensive experience in international cooperation, like you, can you give the German Federal Bar a piece of advice for our international (laughs) work?
1: (laughs) Okay, outside a piece of advice. Listen, I'm I'm, I'm like, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's a good question. Uh, But uh, honestly, you know, um, I'm old enough now to know that the 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 only I mean, the only, uh, let's say, audience I can preach to and give advice and they actually listen to me are my students and my daughters mm. <laughs> to some extent. Um, so I, I feel, uh, I mean, I'm in no position, you know, um, to, to give advice, uh, uh, you know, um, to uh, your colleagues, except uh, it's not an advice. Uh, it's basically, it's an outside view mm. and it, it ties to what I said before. Um, I think... Germany, especially after Second World War, you know, you, you you guys, you really have, for different reasons, and let's not go into that now, but, you know, you have developed, at least in my eyes and the eyes of many others, you know, a formidable um, rule of law system, you know, that should secure democracy, human rights, and fair trials. Um, in a relatively short period of time, considering what you have in the Anglo-Saxon system. And I think it's pretty robust. And I I think it is extremely important um, that you export that knowledge, as many other countries have been doing beforehand, you know, um, with different success rates. But um, I think I, I can totally imagine, because I worked, I mean, in you know, in, in our system or in other systems, that there might be people, um, lawyers, who actually pays your salary, if I may say so, you know, through dues. And they say, why the hell should part of my euro that I pay to the federal bar, you know, go for somebody who then travels to Uzbekistan or to Turkey or to Russia? Look, we all know we are living in a global world. You know, we cannot put a Berlin Wall up again and, and just think that nothing, you know, will come across. Um, and there are, you know, it's, First of all, although I hate that as an anti-corruption fighter, you know, it's good business. You know, if you transfer, I mean, for if you convey some of the elements of your, for example, corporate or business law to be implemented in Uzbekistan, that will make life so much easier for your corporations that might invest there or in China, for that matter, if if you want, or in Russia. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's also about, of course, human rights protection and, you know, kind of you know, having a, you know, a decent um, approach to what's right and what's not right. And anyway, um, I think in the past, that is my experience, um, that, you know, Germany has been lagging behind to some extent, especially in relation to U.S. and, you know, their ABA programs, etc. also behind the French and their, you know, sometimes, you uh, um, uh, let's say, uh, promotion of their legal system. Um, but you can see that now through, through different, through, you know, through, through your work, through the work of the federal bar, through the work of the, you know, IRZ and different other, um, organization. And I think that is, that is really important. I can tell you from the, perp- uh, from the perspective of, uh, um, let's say, um, uh, a receiver of that. and. I know I speak too much. That, that's my former politician in my head, you know, uh, but, uh, that is also a little bit of an anecdote. You know, um, when Slovenia was approaching, uh, uh, was, was, was a candidate for the European Union, uh, we had, uh um, and that was like many years ago, uh, under the twinning project, EU commission sent us, uh, a judge, a senior judge from Munich, a uh, Judge Dukov, um, to come to Slovenia, to stay here for two years, you know, and to write a report. And the report was very critical and, um, but very on point. And there was a lot of controversy about it. But the first thing I did when I became a Minister of Justice, I wanted, I asked my colleagues, you know, just dig, dig out the report of Judge Dukov. And, you know, it was a, I think it was 400 page report. And I spent the following weekend reading that report and I was like, I was ashamed because so much of his uh, recommendations were totally on point and even like, you know, 15 years after we were already a member of the European Union, they were not implemented. So I copied that report and I sent it to all my directors in the ministry and I said, look, that's part of our working plan. Uh, What I want to say at the end of the day is that, you know, foreign assistance and especially if it comes from practitioners, either in the judiciary or in the prosecution, or as it is the case that we are talking right now, you know, from lawyers, you know, it it does have an impact. It might not have an immediate impact, but on a long way, it stays. And I think your country is in a position that should do even more in that respect. That is my opinion. Yeah.
0: Thank you you very much, Goran. And um, thank you very much for your time um we hope to see you very soon in person when this all will be over that uh, we can go to uzbekistan and
1: likewise. continue our
0: work there yeah.
1: likewise thank you it very was, much Goran. <laughs> thank you so much veronica it was a pleasure to talk to you as always so um and uh, all the best to your listeners and uh uh yeah well you know all the best to german lawyers or whoever listens today
0: <laughs> okay thank you goodbye
1: goodbye thanks